Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends, brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. The Suzuki SV650 has been around for several decades now and is largely unchanged. Yet, the middleweight V-twin Suzuki continues to be incredibly popular. Associate Editor Kelly Callan tells us why she continues to rate it as one of her favourite bikes. Our second segment features another of my really good friends, Joel Larson. Joel has been a hardcore motorcycle guy for most of his life, and he's owned everything from Suzuki Jixxers to several Ducati Multistradas. Joel's extraordinary life started in earnest as a teenage drummer when he founded the iconic 60s band The Grassroots. They sold some 36 million records during its heyday. Along his 30-year touring career, it can be said that Joel fully embraced the rock and roll lifestyle, and even these tales told here hint at the sheer joy of living large. One of the nicest people I've ever known, Joel's effervescent, positive appreciation of life is definitely catching. Warning, as you might imagine, this segment contains adult-themed content and is not suitable for children or those of a sensitive nature. So please exercise discretion. We're going to talk about the SV650. So which uh, which version of this was you are you riding? Is it the latest one? Yep, 2023, non-ABS model. So I love the SV650. It's, it's one of my favorite bikes. Um, just a, a real basic mid midweight category bike uh that just is fun to ride so it was it was good to get on it i hadn't been on one in a few years and it was as i remembered is there sort of any one thing that attracts you to it i mean it's a it's a v twin it's a 30 year old motor that really hasn't seen an awful lot of change they definitely got it right to start with but is there something a particular characteristic or is there something that makes you really like that um i think what i like about it is it's it seems to be targeted for like the regular guy or gal and so it's not the lightest bike it's not the most flickable bike but it's it seems to me for its category i think it's just one of the most confidence inspiring bikes i actually like the heavier weight of it because it's a little bit heavier than some of the other bikes that it competes against. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. It's nice having a bike with a little bit of um, substance under you, isn't it? You know, exactly. As much as we all love lightweight bikes that can, you know, flip around the place, on the street, it's actually quite nice having a bike that's got a bit of substance to it. Well, that's just, you're exactly right, especially right on the street, because the street is not like a track, it's not all smooth and, you know, beautiful it's it's just it's it's like the rest of us you know we're not like the models on tv it's got flaws and there's you know bumps and cracks and so forth and that bike is just so stable on it so you know it goes over bumps it's not like you don't feel them but nothing gets out of sorts and and it just feels fine so it's and as you said it's fun to be on flickable bikes that you know if you go in the canyons and you get on a particularly nice stretch where they've repaved it Gosh, that's awesome. But if you go on a lot of the roads that we go on that don't have that, 
uh, it doesn't work as well for me, especially being lighter. I just get bounced around a lot of times. So I like, as you said, I like the substance of the SV650. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Does the motor have, you know, kind of any ride modes or any of that stuff? No, totally basic. So you're not pushing buttons. You're not choosing between power modes, no traction control, wheelie control, any of that stuff. It's just you get on and you ride. And it's got right. torque all over the place. There's nothing extra on it. It's just basic. But it works. As you said, it's been out there for almost 30 years now. So it's they've worked the kinks out. So what what is the what does the motor feel like? I mean, we talk about throttle connection. Do you find it's 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 really smooth? I mean, off the bottom end, especially around town, that's very important, especially um, you know, if you're a slightly less confident rider. How how easy is it to sort of move off the line and you know get going on the thing? Uh, totally easy, as you said. The motor is very smooth. There's nothing jumpy about it, and and actually it has Suzuki's low RPM assist mode. So especially if you're a newer rider, if the engine speed gets you know if, if the RPMs drop really low, it'll automatically boost it up to try and help. So you're not going to stall it. I mean, not even for a beginner, you know, a, a newer rider, even for somebody, if you're doing a lot of commuting, you're in stop and go traffic and you're always having to work the clutch and stuff. I mean, it's just, it helps. So yeah, it's very easy. Is the, is the clutch pretty light and, and what's the gearbox like? Gearbox is perfect. Um, all the, the ratios are like well spaced. They're all perfect. I actually find the clutch to be slightly heavy and I, I don't mean like it's a big handful, but I, I think it's a little bit heavy. Um, Nothing I would complain about is just, you know how it is, you jump from one bike to the next to the next. And so sometimes you get on and you pull the clutch and like, oh, that one's a little bit heavier. Um, it's not it's not any kind of handful, but it's not it's not one of those super light ones. Right. Right. Which, again, it, you know, partially shows the bike's age, but also, again, sort of helps you modulate it a bit. It's not so light that the thing flips in and out. What's the what's the performance like on it? I mean, again, if you're you don't want a freeway and you're at 70 miles an hour and you want to kind of blaze past somebody who's acting like an idiot. What kind of response do you get out of that? I actually find, as I said, there's torque. To me, it seems like almost everywhere. Um, lots of low-end torque, mid, mid-range torque. I find the bike to be, again, for my weight, that's all I'm speaking of. I can accelerate well even if I'm in top gear, if I'm on the freeway and I need to. So I've never found like it's lacking. Um, I find it to be pretty responsive. But again, there's nothing, there's definitely nothing jumpy about it. Um, it's all smooth. It's smooth, but it's there. The, the power is there. When you're sitting on it, it's, I mean, it's a V-twin, so it's a relatively slim, or it's a very slim motor. Is it, I mean, I think it's quite a tall bike, correct me if I'm wrong, but no, it's not. So it's not, it's, you don't have any difficulty flat, flat footing or any of that. No, it's, it's just under 31 inches. I mean, of course, it's all relative, you know, but it's just under 31 inches because it's that V twin. And I think they've, the seat has been kind of narrowed down. You can get, I can easily get flat footed now. I'm, I've got a 30 and a half inch inseam, you know, there. So if you have shorter, but you know, but relative again to the bikes in this category, that's the lowest seat height. Yeah. So ergonomically, it's, it's pretty comfortable once you're riding. 
what's it like with uh you know are the foot pegs you know a long way back or is it it's not a super aggressive riding position from memory no it's mostly an upright you know there's this tiniest bit lean forward so, so it's an upright bike your legs are kind of up in a sporty position i think like relative to if you're going in the canyons there's no problem with cornering um which I, I think a lot of people take this bike actually to the track, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they've been yeah, legendary. Exactly. So even the, so, I think the the foot pegs are pretty sporty, um, relatively speaking. Not uncomfortable though. It's not like it's tight. So sort of in a pinch, if you wanted to go on a, on long distance, you could actually put some soft bags over it, or you know, a tank bag and a tail bag, and off you could go. Presumably, if you wanted to do some distance. Yeah, I would expect so. I mean, also there's room in the seat, you know, to scoot back, you know, if you have longer legs and to just kind of move around if you're putting some time on it for a long right. mile. Right. The seat's pretty comfortable. Yeah, seat's comfortable. And um, I really like the seating position relative to the tank, the way the tank is carved. I'm, I'm like big on being able to really grab the tank or, you know, around with your legs and you sit on that really nicely. So if you're feeling aggressive and going fast, uh, or if you're just on the freeway hauling to, to work or whatever, or on the way home, going maybe going a little faster, um, you can tuck your legs kind of under the way that the tank is shaped, you know, to get right. a really good grip on it. So I, I find that really comfortable. And it's, there's just a secure feeling when you can get a good grip on a bike. Some bikes are like almost too thin, some are too fat to get, you know, for where your legs tuck in. This one's like perfect. It's, it's like a glove. You just that's how I feel when I get on it. As far as, as, far as the suspension goes, are there, is there any adjustment in the suspension? I mean, I, I would imagine it's fairly basic, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the spring, the spring preload in the front and the back. So you're kind of, you know, what you what the factory came up with is what you get. Um, I find it works pretty good. And as I said, I'm used to being on bikes and feeling like it's too stiff. And that's not really the case here. Um, and I also said you will feel some of the rough parts of the road, but in a, since the feedback is very um, consistent and, and kind of neutral, it, it, that's not a problem. It's like, okay, you feel what the road is, but you see what the, the, the bike's predictable, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, the way it reacts over rough stuff. So. I find the suspension to be pretty darn good, considering there's no tweaking. What about the uh, the instruments? Obviously, there's not too much sophistication on there, but uh, but what do the instruments tell you? Do you have things like a gear change indicator on there? You do have a gear change indicator, which I always like. <laughs> I know some people are like, who cares? What are you looking at that for? Do you need to look at that? No, I don't need to look at that, but I just like but to I see. But I do like it. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, you're right it's it's a basic instrument panel but it has what you need sam has got a clock on it i like that so you can see the time <laughs> right okay okay and uh lastly the the brakes what are the uh what do you think of the brakes are they does it have radial brakes on it no so just axial brakes then yeah and it, you've got you do have two discs up front like two nine two ninety a millimeter discs up front and just a one 240 in the back but it's enough i mean the bikes 
I was going to say the bike's not heavy. The bike's a little heavier than some of its competitors, but it's not a heavy bike. So, um, you know, granted, if somebody's riding it, you know, to the nine, ten, ten tenths or whatever, you might want to change that out, I suppose. But I think there's enough power there for what the bike does. You have to be aggressive if you really want to crank down on it and stop sooner. But there's enough power there. And it's um, when you when you pull on the brake, there's no bite on it. So again, for the sort of less experienced riders, they're not going to grab something and, and scare themselves. You have to really crank down if you want to stop quicker. So. All right, so it's seventy three ninety nine for the twenty twenty three non ABS version. This is a really inexpensive bike. It seems like it, it could be sort of uh, it could appeal to a lot of different people. Who would you guess this bike is really targeted at? You're right. I think it's 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 a great commuter bike. It, it's a narrow bike. It's pretty slim. It's a great lane splitter. So if you're lucky enough, like we are, to be able to do that. Um, it's a great commuter. You know, I rode it to work a number of times, split lanes, and it just sneaks right through. So anyway, even if you can't lane split, it's a great commuter. Um, anybody, it's certainly suitable for having fun in, in the canyons. You know, it, it's not the sportiest, but for like regular, regular guy, or, you know, it's like me, I'm happy to go in the canyons. I can have a blast with that. It's very stable. Yeah, it, exactly. It's very stable. And, you know, whether it's somebody kind of moving up maybe from their first bike or even people who are moving down from more aggressive sport bikes, it's, okay. it, it really suits a lot of people. And again, as I said, sort of in the beginning, yes, it's not the most anything, but because of that, it suits a lot of people, a lot right. of, you know, kind of average, average riders. And I'd put myself there. It's like, I have a ton of fun on that. And yeah. um, and it's just inspiring to be on a bike that's so sort of planted on the road, whether you're going fast or you're just going around town and it's soaking up the bumps and just um, being a solid ride. It's just, it's fun. And it sounds good too. The engine sounds nice. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I, I realize there's not a whole lot to talk about this bike, but it's, it just does everything quite well. It does everything it's supposed to, and it's not going to cost a ton of money. I mean, really, there's a lot of people that are going to appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, for that price, that really does seem like um, a good deal and explains also, I guess, why the spike's been around. Well, not the price so much, um, but the the sort of character and personality of the bike explains why it's been around so long. I mean, it's a, it's a long stretch that's also been able to stay there without all the newer electronics and so forth. Um, not everybody needs all that or wants all that or, or wants to pay for all that. Exactly. Sometimes it's better just to keep it simple and, and keep the price low. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do. Yeah, the big red S comes through. All right, excellent. Hey, thanks, Kelly. I really appreciate your time and your insight into uh, into the SV650. You bet. Thanks, Arthur. Our second segment features another of my really good friends, Joel Larson. Joel has been a hardcore motorcycle guy for most of his life, and he's owned everything from Suzuki Jixxers to several Ducati Multistradas. 
Joel's extraordinary life started in earnest as a teenage drummer when he founded the iconic 60s band The Grassroots. They sold some 36 million records during its heyday. Along his 30-year touring career, it can be said that Joel fully embraced the rock and roll lifestyle, and even these tales told here hint at the sheer joy of living large. One of the nicest people I've ever known, Joel's effervescent, positive appreciation of life is definitely catching. Warning, as you might imagine, this segment contains adult-themed content and is not suitable for children or those of a sensitive nature. So please exercise discretion. So it was funny, I was thinking about uh, the time when I, um, I shot you a, uh, an email of me on a Vespa in front of my parents' home. Is it like, oh, yeah, yeah and, uh, and you said, I thought you were a rocker, and you said, you're a mod, and I said, that was, that's about the first, you know, it's a, that was my first bike, really, I mean, when I had a, a Vespa in junior high school, before I even had my license, I was able to, uh, to, to get one, and it worked out quite well. So your first motorcycle was a Vespa. Yeah, well, yeah, not quite a motorcycle, is it? But it was still. No, was no, no, that's a, legit. It was that's a legit. it was a one twenty five, and uh, yeah, and I, you know, I of course I had to soup it up a little bit. I took off the side case and took off the fan, which made it go much quicker, you know. But it overheated a lot. So. Right. Yeah. Where, so whereabouts were you living then? I was living in South San Francisco. I was born in San Francisco, okay. uh, at the St. Francis. Uh, hospital out uh, near Golden Gate Park and you know out in the Richmond district and then uh, our, my parents moved down to South San Francisco and that's where I went to uh, to junior high and high school okay yeah and then uh, I eventually I found one of my neighbor kids had a um, a 250 Honda um, and it was an old and with I think it was a scrambler or whatever they called it they had the two pipes up the side it was okay. black and uh, I can't uh, but I started, um, I would go over and borrow his bike and go riding, and uh, I, just got, I just got hooked on motorcycles. It's funny, back... My so you didn't really grow up with motorcycles, it was just, you just sort of always I think loved it's them it, as I, a teenager. I really. think it's in the genes. My, uh, my grandfather, who was from, uh, he rode bicycles, and he was a fanatic. They called him Mr. Mr. Bicycle, and this was in Oakley, Idaho. And he would go on 60, 80, uh, I mean, he was on the thing all the time. <laughs> and everybody goes, there goes Charlie Larson, that crazy, you know, and uh, right. a crazy bicyclist. I mean, he was, he would just put on hundreds of miles, literally, you know, in, in a week or so. So I think it skipped a generation and then it landed on me, you know. <laughs> and so that's funny. Yeah. I've been riding with you for 20 years, 25 years. 25. I think we started riding in about 02 or 03, maybe. Right. And I was at the rock store and you were like, hey. And then you go, why don't you come ride with us? You know, yeah, like, oh, all right, with uh, with camming and the boys, with camming and the boys. Yeah, I've been yeah. riding with him for 40 years, you know, <laughs> we go way, we go way back. Uh, yeah, he didn't. Uh, we, uh, this is before I got back into motorcycles. Uh, um, we managed an apartment building out in, um, I didn't have a bike for after that for the longest time, and then uh, somebody, um, there was a guy who did the um, who was a cop that rides funerals. One of the funeral guys, oh, okay. and he had a um, uh, a, Cal uh, a Kawasaki 1000. Nice. And he had a couple of them, and there was an abandoned a couple of them that he had in the garage that was still had all of the 
all the crap, uh, all the crap on it with the, you know, the sirens and the lights and the bags. And so I got a sawzall and went into the garage and I just started whacking stuff off and got it down to, I uh, and that's, uh, we got it down quite a bit. Um, and, uh, and so I, I started writing that and I just, I put, you know, I decided that that's when I wanted to, you know, start, you know, to start riding again. So I, I really got the bug and I went down to, uh, um, to the Triumph dealer down in, uh, in El, El Segundo and I bought that yellow 1200 Daytona and I just went, oh my God. You know, I got on that thing, I went on the freeway to go home and I, I throttled that thing and I just, my eyes just went, holy, that thing, <laughs> that thing was fast. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 they were, yeah. Yeah. I think when we first met, I think you were riding a Jix 1000. I was. Were you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've had, you know, I've had everything in the last, in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, I pretty much, I've I run the, you know, I had a, yeah. a, a KTM GT. Yeah. And then uh, the which I, which I crashed and and I remember that that was on the way to Ohio. That was on the way yeah, to that was the, the big toe incident. That's where I now <laughs> they call me Joe Nine Toe. <laughs> Joe Nine Toe. Yeah, yeah, lost my big toe on that one, but um, uh, I'm luckily astonishing. I have no idea how you weren't more injured. I I, I looked. I, I mean, yeah. the car turned in front of you on the way to Ohio on that twisty road. Exactly. You literally t-boned it, went straight over the hood. Yeah, landed on the other side. Landed on the other side. I didn't witness it. By the time I turned around and got back there, right. you were walking around like... Well, that's because like, of my neuropathy and I can't feel my feet. In your feet. And um, we went to court, they brought that up, but I was still able to walk away with uh, $250,000. So I have, I have another toe available. <laughs> <laughs> and by a nice plastic one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, little peg leg toe. I could see it now. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, that was, I just have no idea how you weren't more injured. Yeah, no, I was, I was lucky on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank God. But I mean, we've had a lot of riding history prior to oh, that. Oh, God, we've been, uh, we've been everywhere. Yeah. In, Do you in, remember that ride up to, uh, um, up to Fraser Park? It was just you, me, and Cammy, And we got as far as the pistachios. Right. Um, up in, uh, not Nukayama. I know where yeah, you mean. Yeah, and it, we were absolutely freezing, the three of us. Right, and we were like, "This is way too cold." We were wearing, you know, race Just, leathers. Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, we were completely ill prepared. Man, and it got really cold up in the mountain, and we were just like, "Okay." Well, by the time we got to Noresto, Noma, whatever yeah, it was, right. to take us back, Serenoro, it started. We were. It started snowing. It was snowing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were just in, we were just in leather. I have yeah. never seen you so cold. You were, all, you were in tears. You were going, and we were just shaking. I'm surprised we could even ride. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I remember Camming just was, uh, and we just, it was basically every man for himself. It was. And we no. just rode off and we just, we'll meet you at Fraser Park. And I remember that, and I was riding pretty hard. I mean, I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not that slow of a guy. Oh, no, you're, you're a good rider. And... When I got there, and I think Camming had finished his meal. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. I, he's a, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. But, yeah, there was, you know, <coughs> snow and ice and what have you. But anyway, yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah, so, but you've done a lot of touring, haven't you? You've done touring well, around Europe. Well, with the, yeah, I, I, I've done a lot of the, um, 
of those tours those with Idlewise uh, tours. Idlewise. We were just talking a little bit ago about uh, uh, doing the Idlewise tours, and I took my wife on a couple, and we did. Uh, right. I've been on like four of them, and uh, uh, done all the all the Italian and Austrian passes, and the Dolomites and uh, the Dolomites and uh, yeah. and everything. Uh, but you, uh, you do Andorra one time. I did. Yeah. That's I've never been to Andorra. That's supposed to be spectacular. It was. I mean all, all you know, all the Dolomites and all you know, I mean it's the it's basically the same the same mountains that leave out of northern Italy and just go up. It's they just call them different things, you know. Yeah. Whether you know, uh, yeah. yeah, so we were talking about um about uh, my duel. I started out um I work for the studios now. I work for uh, right. Warner Brothers and we're on strike. And mm-hmm. so I've been off for three months. You know, that's what I do now. But I was a, a rock and roll teenage idol. That's the, that, this is what we want to get to. Enough yeah. of the bike stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I, this you is, were the drummer for the grassroots. I'm the, one of the founding members of the grassroots. Yeah, yeah, we started. How many records did you guys sell? Oh, I think 36 million records, and they were round and had a hole in them. That was a, <laughs> that was back in the day. You know, that back. That's coming back. It is. I mean, there's a yeah. there's a lot of vinyl that they're reprinting, and now the old stuff's becoming. A, so I started out uh, in a band um, in. Um, in San Francisco, it was called the Bedouins, and it was just that was our high school band. Right. And, and uh, I was in a band before that called the Intruders Four, and we were doing uh, four forty-five, five forty-five minute sets at the local Hofbra, you know. And but how did you get started playing the drums? I mean, you just decided one day you were going to do it. I or? started out. My mother wanted me to play piano, and um, I'm uh, I'm dyslexic. So I couldn't really read the music, you know. So I did everything by ear. I had good, I, you know. I had, I um, had perfect pitch. I don't know if I still have it, you know. But uh, I had, I had great rhythm, you know. I could do the oh. William Tell overture just by learning it, you know, by you right. know, by knowing what it sounded like. And so I was more. And then I, when I went, went to junior high, uh, I wanted to be a drummer, but they only had a, a, a trombone uh, <laughs> open, you know. So I picked up the trombone and did that until. Uh, the teacher finally threw his thing at me, and, uh, <laughs> and I said, uh, "So anyway, uh, Joel, you ain't a trombone player." <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. So my, uh, I wanted some drums, and I think um, I, I was able to, to 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 get a hi hat someplace from a, from somebody. And so I, my first thing was just a hi hat. So I learned, I tapped on it until I needed a snare drum, and then <laughs> and then I needed a bass drum, and so it gets, I put a, a, a kit together slowly. And then we, uh, I found this. So entirely self-taught. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And then you know, and then got together with a couple of local kids, and in the garage we started playing songs and doing. And then um, uh, it it evolved into uh, me going from the Intruders uh, into the into the Bedouins, and the Bedouins were really good. And that's initially the beginning of the grassroots. Um, we went, uh, our, our little, our manager, Lou Alexander, and we were, ki- oh yeah, <laughs> uh, um, d- uh, uh, read in the paper someplace that there was going to be auditions for bands at the Whiskey A Go Go in San Francisco. And we were in, Sa- you know, we were in San Bruno and San Mateo was pretty much where we started from. And so uh, there was five bands that got accepted uh, uh, to go up and into the auditions. 
and Lou Adler, uh, who produced the Mom and Papas and produced the uh, oh, wow. uh, Carol, you know, I, I mean, he Lou's a big. Uh, he just got accepted into the you know, Hall of Fame. Yeah, exactly. Um, he um, uh, he and and Elmer Valentine, who owned the Whiskey A Go Go chain, uh, they both uh, were there, and we uh, we played. And we were the out of the four bands, we were the second band on. And Lou said, that's it, you guys are it. And so the other two bands didn't even get to play. Uh, we were really good. I mean, we were tight and we did our, you know, I mean, we were so well rehearsed. I mean, we were just like a... Really? Yeah, and um, so... Were you, were you playing original music or just cover tunes? We were doing cover tunes. Okay. But he, um, but he liked the sound of Bill Fulton's voice, who was, you know, the original, our original lead, okay. lead singer. Bill Fulton went on to be the guitar player, Willie Steamboat Fulton in Tower of Power. Oh wow! After okay. he left the grassroots, he was one of the founding members of Tower of Power. Okay. So uh, we. Uh, so what year was this? This must have been like mid sixties. Yeah, 60s. yeah, sixty-five, sixty-six, uh, okay. right, right in there. All right. And so uh, a couple of weeks later, we were um, we were flown down to L.A. to uh, to go into Western Studio Three, the the studio for all the hits in that day, and uh, we went in and we recorded probably fifteen or sixteen songs. You know, over the the two or three day period, with Lou as a producer, and um, and uh, out of that, we uh, we recorded um, a song that was huge, which was uh, Barry Maguire's "Eve of Destruction." So Barry okay. put the vocal. We recorded it. Barry put on the vocal, and it was released. And we had gone back to San Francisco, so it went to number one for 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 months. That was like the big, you know, uh, a war, anti-war song. Uh, and so okay. Barry got booked on the Ed Sullivan show. And we... Uh, wow, so success was like instant then. I was, you know, within, within a month and a half, I went from a high school band into being on the Ed Sullivan show. Holy crap! And uh, and I remember used to wow. yeah, we used to sit at home with my mom and dad on Saturday night and tonight Ed Sullivan live you know <laughs> in Studio Fifty Four, and uh, so within a month and a half we backed Barry McGuire on the Ed Sullivan show uh, with uh, wow so, so, yeah that was instantaneous I mean it was amazing to me and then and then Barry took me um, he was from New York and uh, being with one of the Mugwumps and you know that whole little group of people. Um, that's where Cass Elliott was from, and they all, okay. they all started back there in New York. And um, they uh, introduced me to just, you know, that whole group of underground, you know, the, the Velvet Underground, and Andy Warhol went to parties with Warhol and did a... So I met, I was only, I was, I was like 17. And here I am with... Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, wow. So, cool. uh, so I, um, af after that, we... Um, uh, we, we came down and we played, uh, they gave us, um, Elmer said, I want you guys come down and be our, um, our alternative act for Johnny Rivers. Now, Johnny Rivers had been playing the whiskey and was doing, you know, 545s, you know, that's, you know, the sets a night. And now he had a couple hit records and so he wanted to, uh, Elmer wanted to give um, uh, Johnny some space. So he, we moved to L.A. Our parents came down and signed our recording contracts because we weren't old enough to sign them. And, uh, and of course we got screwed, uh, you know, out of royalties and everything. They charged us for every cost you could think of. And um, we ended up um, uh, playing 
at the Whiskey A Go-Go, but we were, we were so young that we would have to go outside or go upstairs while, uh, while, while Johnny was on. And then when we went on, and they, they, so we'd have to leave the building because we weren't old enough to be inside, but we were old enough to play. Okay. And then uh, after um, that lasted for, I guess, a year or so, and then the, there was a club that opened called The Trip, which was, uh, the, uh, which was the old, oh God, well, the interlude and the, um, God, it was one of the old big Hollywood clubs. It was the Crescendo, I think it was. Okay. There, there was a, a giant club. There was a couple of big clubs that were, that were, that were big back in the day. And they, they, you know, you could fit four or 500 people in them and they were, they were packed. So they opened The Trip, and we went and we were the house band there and we played opposite James Brown and we played opposite uh, Temptations and you know it was a big stage we kept our equipment back in the back and the bands that were you know the headliners that would come in would come in and play two sets and we'd play opening in the middle and then the closing set so uh, we did that for for several years and then we started uh, we had um, after we were had you, were you writing your your own music by this no point? this was pretty so much we still the, cover stuff yeah uh, no, um, yeah but we had mr. Jones the ballad of a thin man was our first hit record and that was regional okay. uh, kind of on the west coast okay and then when uh, where were you when I needed you came out that was a national hit okay and so from then on we just started uh, we started playing uh, uh, you know like colleges and state fairs and so we ended up turning into a um, a, um, a touring act, you know, okay. and so someplace along the line, uh, the other, the other three grassroots, the original band, they, um, they were pissed because none of them could, could get their songs, uh, you know, recorded, you know, and the songs, were, you know, they, they weren't that good, but it was the, the band, and so they decided that they were going to leave and, uh, and go back to San Francisco. Okay. So, um, Jay Lasker, who is the head of, uh, of Dunhill Records, asked me if I wanted to put a band together and uh, we could be uh, now the grassroots. And um, at this time, I started playing uh, with this kid, Emmett Rhodes. And, uh, and Emmett, and so uh, we started a band called the Merry-Go-Round, and Emmett was called the Fifth Beatle. If you know, you know. Okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot of you knows in a row, um, and so we had some. We had some. Uh, Live was one of our was one of our hits that went. Uh, it was a uh, it was a big hit in L.A. Okay. On, on KHJ and all the local stations, they all picked it right up. Now we're now we're on the road and we're playing right. we're playing real gigs. Um, that's when I went into the band. Uh, the band changed, and Rob. Um, uh, was now the was now the lead singer Rob Warren Etner. So the the band's li lineup now was uh, was Rob Grill, Warren Etner, uh, Ricky Kuntz, and uh, Dennis Provisor. So I was out, and then um, but this is just the beginning. I've been in the band five times, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it changed a lot over the years, didn't it? It did. Yeah, yeah. The personnel changed. So after the uh, after the merry-go-round episode was kind of uh, over, we had a couple of hit records and we put out an album. Um, it did okay. Then I started getting involved with Lee Michaels. Do you know what I mean? Uh, do you know <laughs> what you mean? Yeah. What a you, classic song that is. That 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 got me uh, that got me a lot of work uh, because of the drum fill at the end of the uh, at the end. Do you know what I mean? 
came up with some special drum fill, didn't you? And the, I, the, it, it got copied so much, and it got, uh, and it really got me a lot of studio work. I mean, I was I wasn't one of the big studio players. Hal Blaine. Uh, was one of the big studio drummers, and uh, as a matter of fact, that when we were out of town, sometimes because um, uh, we were on the road so much, because that's where we made our money. We didn't make much money from the, the record company because of all the recoupable costs. They kept it all. They you know, they charged us money. for every inch of tape. They charged us for every box. That put, I mean, whatever oh, they could no. get. I mean, that was what they. Terrible, isn't it? Oh, I mean, but it happened to everybody. I don't, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, there was no getting around it. I mean, the, at the time the. Our bands that we you know were, were like the, were, were, were like the Turtles were our were our good friends. Okay. And um, and Paul Revere and the Raiders or Paul Brazier and the Rapers, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, and the Guess Who and uh, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap and you know those were the kind of the bands that uh, okay or in in our same genre you know. So this that, is all like late '60s stuff. Yeah, this early '70s now. Okay, kind of exactly. yeah, we're okay. kind of moving on into the. Uh, but you tell a great story from the late '60s of, uh, of when you were going to Hollywood parties. Yeah, we were at. Um, I think I know the one, and it's about. Uh, we were um, there was a uh, our manager and the um, and the um, he wasn't really our manager. Russ Shaw was the A and R man for. Uh, A&M and Warner Brothers and uh, Jimi Hendrix was coming to town and so the uh, so the uh, the label wanted to put a party on for for Hendrix and it was in the Hollywood Hills and it was at the guy's house who used to who was the Cadillac heir you know it, oh, wow. it, uh, he was his um, and it was the, called the Cadillac Mansion and um, it was uh, you get towards the top and there was a driveway that you just you would just kind of dive off into you thought nowhere but when you went down and came around the turn, it was a big sprawling, you know, it, it was it did definitely huge. So the day, you know, a couple of days before um, that they had the party, because uh, we, we were having, it was going to be catered and everything. We went up and, uh, you know, had a, I was I was hanging out with Russ and um, I, we, uh, I got to wander around the house. And right in the middle, there was a an octagon shaped room that was probably 10 feet across. And it had eight doors, and each one of them was covered with a mirror. And so when you got in there, you really didn't know. One went into the kitchen, one went into a you know a bedroom or whatever. And one of them, you opened it up, you'd push on it, it would pop back out. It was a stairway uh, going downstairs. And when nice. you went down there, it was a, a game room, a pool room. I mean, it was had all uh, all the fun stuff. It had a shuffleboard, and and it was huge. It was the, underneath the whole house. So um, the night of the party. A couple of the of the Beatles showed up, and a couple, I mean, it was pretty much everybody was going because they all wanted to, you know, hang with Hendrix, and there was right. going to be a lot of photographers there, so it was a big PR event. Right. So, like halfway through the party, I just said, you know, I hadn't met everybody and, uh, and walked around. I went to that door and pushed on it and opened up and went down into the uh, into the basement, and there was a uh, there was three guys playing pool, right. and it was Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton. And uh, George Harrison, <laughs> and, and and so he spent the rest of the night playing pool with those I, three guys. I, I pretty much uh, I picked up a stick and we decided we played eight ball, you know, and uh, we and we took uh, took turns. And I think I mentioned that uh, Hendrix was terribly bad. <laughs> and Hendrix sucked at pool. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah, he was terrible at pool. And my, and my 
Uh, my partner was, uh, was, was George Harrison. And so we stayed down there for, you know, because they were getting, you know, uh, they wanted to get out of the, you know, right. out, of, out of the mess and all that stuff. And so I, we, we played down there for probably an hour. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. What was Hendrix like? I mean, was he just like a sort of real mild mannered he guy? He was very, he was quiet. You know, he was a quiet guy and just, uh, and very polite. You know, he's polite. Uh, you know, in fact, you know, they were all like as mellow as I can, you know, I could imagine that they, right. you know, you don't know what you're going to walk into when you, you know, when you meet, yeah. you know what you're going to sure. end up with. I guess but, they're just relaxed and yeah, oh no, the, cool, yeah, so yeah, nobody yeah. there to well, impress. I, uh, well, they're just having fun. Well, well um, Clapton and, and Harrison had known each other for a long time, so they, sure. yeah, they, they were, la and they were both English and they just laughed at, but I think, um, uh, I, I remember we we played in Vietnam and uh, we, were, we we flew into these bases that were out, out there like uh, in the middle of nowhere and um, and and th those were the best audiences that we ever played for when we got out I to these uh, yeah uh, there were green beret ones and then there was uh, ones from just amphibious uh, kind of vehicles and uh, it was it was great I had a great but that that was a pretty much the story on the, the Hollywood party who who knew <laughs> yeah it How was cool that is really cool so it, then you just so but you were mainly touring most of the time yeah uh, I spent with the, within the different bands that I had you'll see different pictures there's a, uh, there's a website um, uh, induct the uh, grassroots into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm amazed you guys aren't in there already. I think it's a pretty much a bought and paid for deal. It's not. Uh, uh, okay. There's some groups that have had an amazing amount of hits, especially the ones of, of our that were that we, that they call teeny bop. You know right. that, that they uh, you know they put us in a in a certain category that really was a, and for you know I'm surprised because. I still, you know, I'll still run into people and, and they find out I'm in the grassroots and they go, oh my God, that was my, you know, that's yeah. that's all I listened to in high school. I mean, uh, you know, like Paul Revere and the Raiders and us and not some, the Turtles didn't have that many hits, but there's a couple band, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. If you look at the at the total amount, uh, one of the, of the, st of the stats that uh, Casey Kasem brought up is that we were the only band uh, to, to have the record in the in the Hot 100, either coming on or going off, for five years and eight months. Wow! <laughs> that consecutively. Consec. I mean, just without going off, always having a record in the Hot 100 of the. Uh, yeah. Wow. And uh, and I didn't. Almost six years. That's astounding. No, I mean that that uh, that's 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 more than the Beatles, the Stones, uh, right. Michael Jackson, anybody. You know. Wow, that that's amazing stat to me too. I was I was I was that's surprised. Incredible. Well, I was surprised when I heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, at some point, you got invited to go into the dating game, didn't you? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is still available on YouTube, I think, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched I watched it the first time, and I, I was on the dating game, and I won I won twice, and probably about uh, three or four years apart. The first time I uh, we were on uh, was with is with the grassroots. Right. And I think Warren and uh, and and Dennis were uh, were the other two of the three um, uh, c contestants, and um, and I won. Uh, I won a date, um, uh, a chauffeur date uh, to, and, and this is uh, this is a Chuck Barris deal, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, I won a date to the um, the Coconut Grove at the Ambassador Hotel, 
and to see a singer I didn't know John Gary I don't know who he was but I, he was a big band guy that was big back from from the 40s okay. you know I mean it wasn't my my preference but uh, so we won uh, I won uh, we, uh, and uh, they sent a limo to pick me up it was 58 Chevy convertible with the coolest old black guy driving <laughs> and it was just so laid back and uh, <laughs> and it, it was it, it was Chuck Barris's driver too but he got you know so nice. we went and picked the girl up in the valley and I picked her up at the front door, and her boyfriend was uh, in the car sitting outside. Oh, and, yeah. And so I said, <laughs> it, take it, it don't it don't matter, you know. So <laughs> we went to the uh, we went to the uh, the Coconut Grove, which was amazing back then. I mean, that was like the place in Hollywood. Did. Okay. And uh, so they set us up on the dance floor, and um, it was uh, and they had lights on us, and they introduced us as the winners of the dating game, and. We had a special table that they put together, and so the lights went down, and, uh, and, the, and the band came on, and everything was going great. And I didn't. Uh, nobody, nobody mentioned to me that she was an epileptic, and she's and she seized right in the. She had she grabbed my arm and the tablecloth, and she just went straight over. And it was since it was a portable table that was set up on the dance floor, it flipped up. I mean, it just it just went. <laughs> It, on one end it went down and the whole thing flipped up and the food went everywhere oh, and and she's man. now she's now flopping around on the floor and everybody didn't I didn't know what to do you know I not so um, while she was there everybody you know lights came up and the, everybody rushed over and so I, I oh, said I okay? I well I said I'm gonna go get her boyfriend because he probably is all fully aware of this and is gonna know what to do so I dashed outside and uh, he saw me come and he rolled the windows up and locked the doors, you know, I'm going, no, I'm going, no, no. I finally got him to, you know, to get out and come. I said, I, she's not doing well, you better, you know. And he got right out and, 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 um, and he knew what to do. Uh, yeah, he got, he got, uh, by the time we got back, she was kind of over her, uh, you know, her, yeah. yeah. And wow. so, uh, oh, he, no, wow. I, I, yeah, no, but I she was okay. She seemed, yeah, by the time that we got back, she was, you know, coming around and kind of getting up on her feet. So he just, he just, you know, grabbed her and took her out and I guess took her home. And so, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, and yeah, it it was, it was a thing. So, but me and the, uh, and the limo driver, this old black guy went up to the bar and uh, started having (laughs) Hennessy with a Coke back, you know, (laughs) and I, and we got pretty drunk so anyway that that was the end and then he dropped me off and that was the end of the night okay. and so about about a year and a half later I get a phone call from Chuck Barris he calls and says so I understand you had an interesting time on your date and I said yeah I, I, I'd say so uh, it was uh, it was interesting and so he says you know what if um, if you'd like to be on again um, why don't you, uh, uh, I'd like the same format where you come on with a band. Well, at this time I was, had a band, I was in a band called the Gene Clark Group. And that was, Gene Clark was the lead singer of the Birds. Oh, and, okay. Okay, and after he left, and he, uh, after he left the Birds, then he got his, uh, he started his own band. It was um, uh, me and Gene Clark, Bill Reinhardt played bass, um, and the guitar player was Chip Douglas, who produced the Monkees. Oh okay. wow! Yeah. So, wow. anyway, so I That's said, big stuff there. so I went to the man. I went to Gene's. Uh, I went to. G- I told Gene about it, and he said, well, "Yeah, of course we'd like to be on." And we have a new record coming out 
so we'll play the new record. And uh, so I was on with Jane Clark and with Bill Reinhardt, and I won again. <laughs> okay. So, so this time was interesting. So uh, we want I want to we want a trip to the Calgary Stampede up in uh, up in Calgary up in Canada. And What's the, Cal- the Calgary Stampede is a thing that they have truck wagon. Ra- it's a, just a big like a big rodeo. Thing? It's a big rodeo, but it's also it's with the whole town and they have parades and they do the whole thing. It's quite a, it's well known in Canada. Okay. And uh, if you look it up and so um we um we got uh, went to the airport and and my date you know the, the that I won she was nice and she was friendly and everything and the uh, they always send a chaperone with you and this uh, chaperone was probably I was probably 22 23 and she was probably 36 and just drop dead gorgeous oh the chaperone was <laughs> yeah yeah the one that was going with us uh oh so you know I had this, uh, I just said okay so anyway we get to the uh, the the Banff Hotel or the no the Calgary Ho- uh, Calgary Hotel and check in. Frank Sinatra Jr.'s next door and there was a bunch of people. So um, we you know we, um, went to bed, got up in the morning, and um, and the chaperone says uh, she had a car and she says well I you know I've taken care of, the, of your date uh, you're coming with me. So I said okay and so I said well, oh, so we, the date was gone. Well, the date had found some. She had gone out that night and found somebody that she liked, and she was going to go <laughs> to the truck. Yeah, it, it was all weird, you know. And so, uh, so I don't, the chaperone said, "You're with me." Now. Yeah. All right. So um, date's off. You're with me. She took. Uh, <laughs> she took. I got in the car, and she. Uh, uh, we went to the. I guess. Uh, I guess about thirty, forty miles up to Banff. And Lake oh, Louise, right. which is just okay. like this gorgeous, beautiful Stunning. hotel yeah. with, next to a waterfall and the whole thing, and um, and she had gotten the uh, she she had gotten the penthouse suite, and nice. yeah, and so we I put the bags in the room, and that's the last time that we came out. She was uh, <laughs> uh, Chuck had set me up, and uh, <laughs> and and I was uh, and she was a pro. I mean, I. I there's things I can't talk about that, <laughs> that happened to me at a very young age that I was going, I, uh, I couldn't even, uh, I couldn't imagine, you know, right. her. Uh, that's, that's a prize worth winning, I would say, on the dating game. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I still, uh, you know, I, I was overwhelmed and, and, and worn out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, because I mean, this was the '60s, you know. Obviously, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, it, it, it was just w- all three of them. It, it was just it, one giant party, by the sound of it. I mean, oh, no, I, you know, with with without a doubt. And then you you toss in a little LSD and <laughs> and look and look out, you know. <laughs> and and that was a, a easy that was an easy version of the story, you know. <laughs> right. And. Uh, I can't go into detail, our, and, and I'm probably, yeah. For our gentle listeners. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah it, it was all good. So we get back to L.A., and um, and everything's going along well, and I get a, a call from Chuck again. So, so <laughs> how, was your, uh, uh, how was your date? And I said, wow. <laughs> I said, Thanks, Chuck. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, she's one of my favorites. <laughs> Obviously, he was a wild and crazy guy. Wow, that is wow! What a story. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So we were on the road for. I've been on the on the road for thirty five years in one version of the band or the other. Right. Um, I remember we did uh, when we did the Ed Sullivan show, 
It was in uh, with Barry McGuire. It was in Studio 54 in New York. Okay. And it was blowing and freezing cold, and it was the first time they used color cameras. So okay. here was these big NBC giant cameras, and they all had they all had tubes in them. This is before, you know, this is before they yeah, had electronics. Yeah, yeah electronics, and uh, they were really te- they were they were temperature sensitive. So if it, if the lights were on and the doors were closed and the cameras were on, it would get hot and the color would drift. So during the uh, so during, after you know our our first rehearsal and w- and the, with the audience still in there, um, they would open the elephant doors and let the cold air blow through. So the, if we keep the temperature of the, of the uh, inside of the studio down, so the first the first set that we used when they opened the elephant doors blew the our our, our back set almost away. So they, <laughs> they they redressed all you know the the guys came in the. Uh, uh, and they and they reset the back, so now they only cracked open the doors at a certain time. And then later, after they um, after Ed Sullivan was ended, they turned it into Studio 54, the big dance, uh, you know, the famous big, dance club, famous nightclub, yeah, 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 yeah. So the grassroots were touring a lot by then. You were obviously huge. We with were your, tu- all your original music. We were tour by, you know, by the time we had uh, Let's Live for Today and Sooner or Later and. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, we had just a plethora. Of, Love is going to get you. Yeah. yeah. If, 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 you, if you go back and look at the list of songs we had, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't grow up with the grassroots in England. I'd never heard of them until I met you. But weirdly, I have heard some of the songs. When I when you played me a couple of songs, I was like, Oh, I know this song. When we did go to we did tour to England because the um, our record label wanted us to get. More well done, uh, more well known internationally. So, we we went and did a show called Top of the Pops, right. which was I remember um, it well. And there was only I think at the time there was only BBC One and BBC Two. Yeah, yeah. One of the times when I wasn't playing, um, the Doors had had come out, and um, oh, since okay. I had been there, um, I um, I signed on and became their tour manager. For the Doors. For the Doors, and so what. Well, I did all of the travel arrangements pretty much for the grassroots, and so I knew planes and limos and hotels and all that kind of stuff. So I took the doors to, um, to, to, to England. I did the first two stops on the tour, and then, some, and then somebody else took over. But they played the Roundhouse in Camden Town, and, um, and, wow. yeah, and uh, we stayed at the, at the Dorchester. And, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. We had, and we had limos. and. I didn't mention to them that they were their limos, so I usually drive. <laughs> I would drive them around, you know. It was great, but Jim, you know, all those guys are. Jim are, Morrison. Yeah, Jim Morrison and, um, and uh, Ray Benz, Eric, and John Densmore. They, uh, when we were playing at the Whiskey, two doors up was a, a place called the London Fog, and they were the they were the kind of the house band there. They were all UCLA okay. film students, and um, and they started a band in film school at UCLA. And then they started playing at the uh, on on the strip, and they were good. They were just you know, I mean, Jim and all of, they were really nice guys. I got right. to be friends with 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 Densmore, and uh, right. and we hung out. Two it was two two drummers, and um, he would come over on occasion and play. When we were playing at the Whiskey, I let him sit in, and he knew our songs, and it was fun. That's awesome. It must have been 
sad. I mean, the flip side of all this is obviously the sadness of losing these guys, lose Hendricks and Morrison. And yeah, yeah. It must have been a shock at the time. Yeah, no, it I was. And even, you know, Led Zeppelin when John Bonham died. And, yeah. And just instantly I mean, they and, just disbanded. That was it. And ten years ago, our Rob Grill, our lead singer, died, you know, so... There's that a, must be hard to just suddenly, but to lose these guys so young and just yeah. overnight like that must be such a shock. Yeah, I'm 76. I'm glad I'm still here, boy. I'll tell you what, you know. <laughs> and I'm still riding my Multistrada, do, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've done more mileage than anyone I know. Uh, yeah, I've, I, I, uh, I bought that uh, I bought that, that Triumph, and I put on 139,000 miles on it. And then I... Uh, on the Triumph Daytona? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and wow. I sold it, and somebody still had it riding in the valley not not too long ago. And I said, yeah. Wow. I, I haven't put as much on my Pikes Peak, but that's probably one of the best bikes that I, I've ever ridden. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just does everything. It stops. I'm not I'm not thrilled it has, you know, the active uh, cruise control, but I mean, uh, right. I mean now it's just because uh, it's such a... Uh, it's got such a computer in it that it does yeah. everything. I haven't learned all the stuff yet. It does. <laughs> yeah, it's a learning yeah. process. Yeah, you've done some amazing mileage. I mean, just all the trips we've done over the years. Yeah. Years, you're always up for some ride, some crazy ride of whatever distance it we is. Put, yeah, we put, we'd, we'd do, you know, 500-mile days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. M several times a month, yeah. Mul multiple times, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that was the that was the grassroots. What an interesting, what a fascinating career. I I'm the luckiest guy that you know. You know, I just um, <laughs> I, I got a I got in a band. You know, uh, right out of high, right. You know, actually in the in my senior year of high school, right. and went right to the top. You know, and uh, and played everywhere. Been uh, been around the world. Played in uh, some, almost uh, almost every continent. And uh, been you know, yeah. And the amount of shows that we played. Um, the band. The only place you're really not welcome anymore is Canada. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's still that's still a question. I don't know. Uh, we we stayed at a um, Holiday Inn in um, in Prince Albert, and uh, it was one of the Holiday Inns that it was enclosed in a, like a bubble, and they uh, in the you know it was a U-shaped hotel, and in the middle was a um, a, sw a big swimming pool, and they had closed the top, and there was and it had a wraparound. And it was a see-through plastic. I mean, it was like these little bubble-shaped things that were plastic. Right. And uh, we got done playing one night, and went uh, back to the hotel. And uh, we had that we were all we were all we were pretty much all packed up and ready to go on to the next gig. And uh, you know, the roadies were always always crazy. We'd you know torn up rooms and done all you know. <laughs> I was pretty much over that, but the roadies were still you know pretty much enthused. Uh, one of the roadies got. Uh, uh, a long extension cord, and um, he was on the second floor and overlooking the pool. So he takes the TV, plugs it in, turns it on, and throws it into the pool. <laughs> and so, so it was, oh, in a, and we were all watching, you know, because look out, look at what, what Greg is going to do, you know. And so he did it, and uh, and and the lights flickered in the pool, and then you could see through the dome way out in the distance this gorgeous blue purple light that just lit up the whole sky and then this and then the whole everything went black killed the power knocked out the substation for this part of the town oh, and and i said holy man this is a that's probably this, not good this is not good at all and i said and 
And when they found out kind of what was going on, I mean, uh, they couldn't, even if they called the police, there was, everybody was calling the police, you know? So it was, right. um, so since everything was in my name, like, cause I booked, you know, all the hotels because and you do, were doing all the arrangements. It was my name on all the credit cards. So I said, I think it's best if we just pack up and get and get out of town now. So uh, we did. <laughs> and uh, we got off down the road, so I didn't really think about that much after, um, after uh, you know, it was all over, and we went on and completed our tour and did whatever. And hadn't thought about it. And this is before they had computers, and you know, um, and they really didn't. Uh, and I, and but my name somehow got put on the computer as persona non grata. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> so I was flying on a, um, I was I was flying with a, a bunch of guys. We were on our way to do a um, a bike tour in Europe. This with, is only a few years ago. Yeah, it was like thirty years later. Yeah, with Sandy and all you know all right. the guys yeah, from yeah. the rock store, and uh, we stopped over in uh, some place in Canada. Uh, it was a, a just a transfer flight. Just a transfer flight to get yeah to yeah. get off one plane and go to another. Yeah. And I got off the plane and uh, walked through their customs and they pulled me out. <laughs> okay, and they uh, two guys came up and took me off to the side, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, we went down into their customs office, and there was a jail cell, and there was a, you know. A, oh, man. And they didn't really know. They had my name in the computer now, but they didn't know from back then. So they kept kind of asking me, you know, what, what did you do? You know, <laughs> you know and I said, well, I, to tell the truth, I really don't know either. I mean, could you tell me why you pulled me out of here? And, 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 and I, so I sat there for about 20 minutes, and now it's getting close to when the other flight's gonna leave. So we sat there and then they came back and they, the same two cops that brought me down there walked me to the plane oh, and nice. put me on the flight. So, uh, and they said, and don't come back. So, <laughs> so I, I, I can't book a flight that lands anywhere in Canada or I can't go to Canada. Right. You know, but they're crazy about that stuff. If you have a DUI and yeah, you're DUI, not- DUI, they won't let you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that was a, 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 a funny story, to, for sure. Yeah, and it wasn't even you that did it. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's just your name was on the card. Exactly, oh, exactly. But <laughs> it was a beautiful light, though. I mean, now you should have seen it lit the whole sky up. <laughs> funny stuff. Oh, that's classic. So then you started um, when finally you know the rock and roll was. Was, uh, was over. Well, you weekend. know, is what happened in the end, it turns out that there's like 4,000 casinos now across the United States. And, wow. um, and, and we, started, uh, we started playing those casinos. At first they were great because, you know, you'd have an attraction and uh, people would pay to come see you. Now the casinos are giving away uh, tickets to get in and it's people that really don't care they just got this thing and it's something to do while they're on their vacation so right. the audiences start getting uh, you know wishy-washy and not uh, right. and they didn't really uh, they weren't there to see the, the people that were playing and now they've got one every week right. you know so they kind of burn the audience out and uh, and I just wasn't having fun you know anymore doing it so right. um, I went over to a, a Thanksgiving dinner at uh, my mother-in-law's house, and uh, my brother-in-law, uh, Jeff Verdick, was a uh, worked in the, in the in the movie business, and uh, he was a teamster, and um, and so uh, mom says, uh, 
Jeffy, uh, I was out of a job at this t at this time, but you know, just recently out, you know, because uh, right. why don't you take uh, you know your Joel here and take him into the studios and see if he likes it. And Jeff, you know, not knowing what 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 you know, he's not he's putting his ass on the line. Was a oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so it turned out that uh, I did exceedingly well as a as a teamster. And I uh, got my Class A license and got my air brake and all my uh, passenger endorsements and so I'm in hazmat and everything. So I started driving uh, in the movies and I started out driving for uh, uh, um, just a, a company that that rented. Um, when you see a, a TV shoot, a location, you see all the trucks that are out there. Sure. In there somewhere is a honey wagon, which is all the bathrooms and, and, and rooms that people stay. Right. And so, funnily, uh, I started as a honey wagon driver, which wasn't, uh, which was a hard job, but it was you know in demand. Right. And uh, so I worked a lot doing that, and then I moved into driving other stuff, and I started, uh, I did Iron Man. Right. Well, actually, before that, I did uh, Transformers. Oh was yeah. The, was the first big movie I did, and we right. that, that was out of state, and we were in the middle of the desert, and I was driving the camera truck, and uh, it was, uh, and it turned out to be a thing that I really got into, and then I did Iron Man one, Iron Man two, um, and I was working for Marvel, and that was fabulous, and then Disney bought Marvel, and it wasn't so good, so then I went over to Warner Brothers, okay, and I ended up, uh, I ended, I went on to Two and a Half Men, and then Big Bang Theory. And then um, uh, I did Mike and Molly, and, right. and and I did so many of those. Uh, they call them three camera shows where they had an audience. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and so I ended up. Uh, I've been on strike. I'm a teamster now, and so uh, they just went on to bring you up to current time. On uh, we just went. The writers went on strike, and I haven't right. worked for four months. So they're saying that probably they'll be uh, by December. Uh, 2023, there'll be, uh, you know, the, the strike will be over and I can go back to work. Hopefully. Yeah, the producers yeah. aren't really anxious to um, to, to give to, the table, to yeah. give the writers, uh, you know, the, and then all the AI stuff that they once right. they capture your face, they can use your your likeness. And uh, Ooh, I don't know how scary. Yeah, I don't know how that scary. works, but I mean, yeah. it, it didn't sound good to me. No, no, definitely not. But so working on all those shows, you must have met all of all I, those people. I, mean, I, what I, were they I, all like? I, I mean, oh, I, uh, um, I, I know, two and a half men is you know was a classic show. What a great show! Yeah, Charlie was he he ate he would eat with the Teamsters. He he would come out and really? hang, hang out with really, Charlie Sheen. Oh yeah, excellent guy, and he had the youngest the youngest girls I've ever seen in my life. He had a, and there's a different one every day. I mean, it was like... <laughs> so he was living the life. He had a trailer that was parked between two uh, sound stages. Right. And it was like an endless uh, thing. I, just thought, I said, I don't know how you do it, buddy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know if uh, this is all is good or bad, you know? <laughs> so some... But, you know, this... Um, you know, this the stuff that he had with Chuck Lorre... Um, uh, he he was he just didn't like he he just th thought that the scripts were all just uh, that the that the, 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 the jo yeah the the jokes weren't as funny as they were and right. they were starting to get too repetitive and uh, mm. uh, he but he was there he knew his lines he hit his marks it was it was one or two takes all the time it was not like you know five or six takes so yeah uh, I liked Charlie and he liked all of us and then and then when he left and Ashton came in it just uh, it wasn't the same. Right. You know, um, Ashton was just totally, he had a big motorhome in the middle and he was a sports guy. We had all his buddies over and watching 
basketball all the time. Is right, yeah, okay. but he you know he was all nice right. Nice guy, I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. yeah. I mean the show, it, it, and that went on for three or four seasons, and they finally canceled. Yeah. And then Big Bang, um, that was uh, that was that was 13 years I was on that. I had the cush job. I has um, I drove uh, props and wardrobe mainly. I had a van that had a rack in the back, and I just. I had a call time, and then I didn't have to talk to anybody except the wardrobe people, and so, and I was getting, you know, I was working six hours and getting paid for 12, and it was, <laughs> I mean, big, you know, big checks. Wow. Yeah. That's the, awesome. Those Teamsters make uh, $47 an hour, so. Wow. And that's regular time. And so that's with full medical benefits and oh, pension. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely, I vested in 20 years, and uh, I get medical for life. Wow. Yeah. I, I I can't wait to go back. Yeah, it worked. It worked out well. You know, I got. Yeah. yeah. What a story! What a story! Joe. So I'm the luckiest guy from being in a rock band, a huge rock band, and getting a job in the in the studios. I mean, I, I'm the luckiest guy you know. So when 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 you were at school, did you have any plan to start any of this? I was expecting? think I was thinking I wanted to be I wanted to be a doctor. You know, <laughs> believe it or not, you know. Uh, so. Uh, when I wasn't working, I went to Pierce College and I was taking pre, I was taking pre-med classes. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, uh, uh, that's what I, I kind of wanted to be, but just overnight, it was all laid out for me and it was set to go. Yeah. One of the uh, funny things about touring, uh, we were in at the Lincoln Theater in Chicago and um, we were uh, playing, uh, you know, just well, I was on tour with Lee. And this is after uh, he had a drummer called uh, named Frosty that was his drummer for a long time, and then um, him and Frosty got in a big fight, and then I, I came on after uh, after we recorded. Uh, Do you know what I mean? So we went and played some theaters, and he had that giant organ that uh, that had all the amplifiers with it, and just blew the people out. I mean, it was a wall. I mean, it was the loudest thing, uh, the loudest concert you have ever been to. Uh, you know? Wow. Yeah, we had we had like. Uh, like 20 amplifiers that were all plugged into that one organ and it was uh wow. and it, it, when you hit the bass notes he had there's a, a, a hammond b3 has these pedals on the bottom that are called a treadle and used to play the bass notes with your feet right. so he had that transferred up to the keyboard so that the same notes that were on the on the on the treadles now were up in his left hand so it went, doo, 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 I mean, really low frequency through a bunch of amplifiers. It, you could actually just feel it, you know, press your chest, you know. Wow. So we were playing at this, um, uh, at, at this theater, the Lincoln Theater in, uh, in Chicago. And uh, we got there and we partied a little bit with the, uh, with the band that was on our opening act. And uh, didn't realize it, but they dosed us with acid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just they went on and played, oh, and just the just the just the just the amount of time from when they went on and went off, we were fully lit, you know, <laughs> oh, me and Lee, and we went on. And what what year, what year was this roughly? This was still in the sixties. Seven. This is in the seventies. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, and so you're fully lit, but you still went on. And you've heard about muscle memory yeah. that just took over. <laughs> I mean, I remember playing and looking down at my hands and feet and going, how am I doing this? You know, <laughs> Tr truly, I mean, it was just, uh, it was, I, I, I was in an, I was out of my head looking at myself, you know, 
I don't know if that's yeah. motorcycle related, but... Uh, it is not motorcycle related, but it's a fun story. Yeah. So you are a bit of a motorhead, and you've got some, got some nice cars. Um, I got, uh, I, I just sold I, uh, my 97 Viper, blue, blue with white, right. that I had for 15 years, and I just love that car. Yeah, you used to do track days with it, didn't you? I did, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, well, I had a couple of them. One, one got totaled. I was on the 405 freeway, and um, a guy in a... Uh, uh, heading south, uh, just getting off at Howard Hughes Parkway, and uh, a guy in a black uh, Ford F-150 fell asleep at the wheel and just plowed me from behind. I mean, and then it turned me sideways, and I, I could reach up and uh, from the driver's seat. It pushed in the passenger side. I could put my hand on the grill from inside inside the car, but I wasn't hurt. You know, I was I, I was all buckled up and, and everything. And there's a CHP right behind us, and he saw the whole thing and pulled over, and so um, that got scrapped. And then I, I got it, and, th and that one was a uh, Arrow had built a, had built a motor, and it was just fast as shit. I mean, it was right. yeah. yeah. And I put huge tires on it. Then I got another one that, and it was good too. And that's the one I just sold um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. I, I do I do miss it. I'm looking uh, I'm looking now at the uh, at the new. Corvette Z06 C8 oh, LT2, yeah. you know, there's a, quite a line to get them, but you know, and they and they have them twenty, thirty thousand dollars over MSRP. So, wow. uh, yeah. So, okay. it, but they're making two hundred a day. So let's see. Hopefully that they'll really? flood the market soon enough to get one. You know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You're gonna have to start dipping into that big tone money. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's about what. A, yeah, so they're almost 200 if you get them all all set up. But I still think it's the best, you know, sports car for the money with that that flat plane crank. Um, you know, the flat plane motor is just oh, right. it sounds like a it sounds like a motorcycle. It does. Yeah. 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 So any plans for any more motorcycles at all? I think this. Are you happy with the Pike's Peak? The Pike's Peak is just the best. You know, this is my second Pike's Peak, but I had six Multistrada. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I had the old one with the round front and yeah, the, yeah, I remember that. the dual spark and the, yeah, 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 yeah. I think it was 1100 DS. I think it was called. Yeah. And the KTM's. I remember I went to the KTM GT launch and you were asking me about it. And yeah, like is it any good? And I was like, it's spectacular. It was the KTM was. I, I felt like it was sitting on top of it and not down in it. You know, yeah. it, that's the, the. I think that comes from their, you know, their uh, off-road kind of head. You know, their, their tendency. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I the power was just unbelievable through the roof. Yeah, I hadn't just just the torque was just a killer. But um, <coughs> I wasn't completely thrilled with it. Yeah. yeah. So okay. they asked me if I wanted to, you know, to you know to to get another one. I said, Nah, I'm going to go back to the multi. Multi. Yeah. So other than the. KTM and the Multi. Have you had other bikes? Yeah, I had a uh, a couple of Aprilias. Uh, oh, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Had a Tuono, didn't you? I had a Tuono. I had the nice. the, the original tu Tuono factory with the white yeah. wheels, and uh, that was a gorgeous looking bike. Yeah, all the carbon fiber. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it beautiful was. Uh, and and then after that, I got a uh, I got the RSV. Yeah. The four cylinder. Yeah. And nice. that was the first time I had a four cylinder. That was pretty. That was pretty. Oh, yeah. It was little and fast and nimble. Yeah. And then I remember that old. I had the Honda Blackhawk back in the day with the. Uh, I, I've had a bunch of bikes. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah. I think that's about it. Joel, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. As I was, uh, awesome just listening to your life story. How cool. I'm sure there's more. Maybe we'll get a chance to do it again. I'll I'm think sure of some, there's a whole lot yeah, more. I mean, I, <laughs> I kind of jumped all over the place, you know, but I mean, uh, uh, I'm probably going to go home and get the bike. <laughs>